Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Bless your heart. Uh, let's celebrate Jola. <laughs> let's also celebrate all our pastors. Great job, sirs and ma. <laughs> used to be Saz and Maz. <laughs> Saz and Ma now. And for everyone who led prayers, you know, yesterday, we celebrate. Can we celebrate every single person who led prayers yesterday? It was so remarkable and beautiful, you know, the time we spent in God's presence. Thank you so much. So we're here for LQ. Jola, over to you. Um, okay, hi, guys. So how we're going to do this is we had some questions that were... We had some questions that were sent in. This is going to be difficult to maintain. Though. <laughs> we had some questions that were sent in um, online on Instagram. So we're going to be taking that. But questions on the floor. Um, there'll be a mic going around. You can write. There's a basket going around as well if you want to stay anonymous. I don't know why you would want to do that, but it's okay. Um, yeah, so you can give your questions. You can write your questions down and give them to Esther. Or you can just take the mic and, you know, ask Pastor Dami your question directly. Um, I would advise you to do that because that will probably be answered um, faster. Um, so we're just going to start off with some of the questions that we have here. And while that's going on, please send in your questions um, so that we can address them. As well as um, the online community, you can drop your questions via the chats or the live chats as well. Comments and then the media team will take a look at those and send them here in due time. Hallelujah. Let's begin. Amen. So um, one of the first questions that we got was... Um, regarding um, sexual immorality in decent dressing. And I would like Pastor Dami to just kind of address things like that. So it says, as a young man, what do I do with all the hormones firing in my body, thereby making it increasingly difficult to keep pure and chaste? But um, also perhaps maybe because, you know, people around are not dressing properly and that's kind of contributing to um, the <laughs> hormones firing. <laughs> yes. Okay. Hormones were created by God. As the first thing you need to understand, be comfortable with your hormones first. Let me, let me start with that. Understand that God created your sexuality. Um, however, he has a purpose for the sexuality. So one of the most profound ways to ensure that you do not become a victim of your hormones. All right, the Bible says when a man has lost touch with how to control his emotions, which by extension means your hormones, you are like a city without walls. That is, you're very vulnerable. Um, anywhere you go, people can just... And Bible says sexual immorality makes a man like a piece of bread. So you, you become chops. You become small chops just by giving yourself, making yourself a victim to your hormones or for, you know, for, your, for your hormones to take control or take the lead. So one way I believe young men, because I believe that was a young man, right? <laughs> you know, can... Um, keep themselves pure is by being passionate about the purpose of God for their lives. I tell you the truth. If you're not passionate about God's purpose for your life, you will inadvertently get into sexual lust and it becomes your preoccupation because there is nothing carrying you in terms of purpose. Look at Joseph. He's a very good and valid example in scripture. Without that sense of purpose and destiny in his life, without that sense of if I mess up, I would disappoint God. The heavens will not be happy. All right. Without that, he would have slept with you know, his, his master's wife. And so the first and most important thing is to have a clear sense of what God has called you to be or called you to do, which is an offshoot of your relationship with him. So the closer you are with God in terms of your intimacy, the stronger your sense of purpose, and that will be a major restraint against giving yourself over to sexual lusts and desires. Because you know that, you know, I, I remember sharing with, with DC um, at the vigil how God rescued me from, you know, um, a... An onslaught, literally. The devil had plans for me, literally. And it was going to be via that sexual, you know, a route. And the Lord literally delivered me. And I knew one of the reasons why it was easy. Well, it was very difficult at the time. But one of the ways or one of the reasons why I believe God helped me to get out of that situation was because I was so, so passionate about fulfilling the purpose of God for my life. If I didn't have that restraint in my heart... I would have just counted the cost and there will be no cost on this side weighing so much. I would have just said, what was the point? Let me just have this and move on because there is nothing I'll be losing in the end. You remember our definition of fornication, an exchange of the eternal for the mundane. So um, I believe that was what really restrained me. And so 
pursue after God. Be passionate about the purpose of God for your life. And let that be the lens through which you even judge every lady that comes into your space. So your sense of purpose is also going to be what will strongly weigh in when it comes to your decision on who to get married to. So I really think focusing on the purpose of God for your life is one of the biggest restraints against sexual lust. With respect to indecent dressing, you may not be able to do anything about that. You can't... Um, stop birds from flying over your head but you can avoid them perching on your head and nesting there so you may not be able to avoid seeing ladies who you know dress indecently which really naturally has the tendency to provoke some arousal however what you need to do is to strengthen your spirit man even more that is learn to look away and it's your spirit man that actually trains your body to look away if you want to go by your flesh you will look at every lady that passes Did you know that some guys a lady is not even dressing indecently. As the lady is walking, they are doing photo cam. They are just doing camcoder and just following the girl, right? And they are undressing her in their minds, right? The girl is not indecently dressed, but they are indecently undressing the lady in their minds. So, yes, that's a, an external factor, but the internal factor of restraint and self-control is more powerful than whatever it is that may be coming your way on the external. And that means you need to train your spirit man. For example, by fasting. Once you learn to avoid, once you can tell your body to shut up that you want to fast, that food for today is not coming, breakfast, lunch is not coming, you can train your body to do anything. You can train your body to avoid looking at a movie that is sexually stimulating. You can train your body to not look like look at a woman who is, you know, trying to arouse you or whatever it is. By fasting alone, you can just be able to wield your faculties. It's like that whip you use in guiding that horse. Because your emotions in scripture is very illustrative of how a horse works. All right. But um, let me not go too deep into that. But that's the idea. Train your spirit man to be stronger than the pressure from the outside. That's what I'll say about that. Thank you so much for that beautiful answer, Pastor Dami. Can we just give a round of applause? Thank you. Thanks for that. I would also like to say that it also applies, you know, to ladies as well. Just Absolutely. Everything that has been said. Stop going on Instagram and checking nude um, guys' six-packs and staring at that. <laughs> Stop reading uh, Mills and Boone and Harley Quinn and dreaming up things in your mind. So all of those things also um, apply um, to ladies as well. So take caution there. Um, <laughs> take caution there as well. Um, so the second question we'll be taking um, is sort of more related to um, the series, the gift series. Okay. So it says, I, have, I do have a question concerning praying in the spirit. How do you know you are praying in the spirit? I know it is a gift of the spirit, but do I need to work towards it or is it freely given? So I feel like Fantastic. it's a skewed there. But yeah, um, I'll refer you to Pastor Mike's teaching where he made a very clear distinction between the gift of diverse kinds of tongues and the follow come gift, all right, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is every believer's entitlement, you should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there should be an evidence of that, you know, infilling, which is praying in the Spirit, which is what you use to edify yourself, to decide to pray, to, you know, build up your yourselves on your most holy faith Jude 20 this is something that every believer should be able to do however there are some people who have the gift of you know diverse kinds of tongues not everybody has that and that's what the scripture is referring to I believe in first Corinthians 12 talking about do all speak in tongues that speaking tongues there is not referring to the general follow come all right it's talking about the specific gift which is usually skewed towards prophecy do you understand? Because if you are doing that when you are manifesting in the gift of diverse kinds of tongues, it is with interpretation in mind, which combined form prophecy. But when you are praying in the Holy Spirit, you are not trying to prophesy in any specific sense. You are just building up yourselves on your most holy faith. So um, that's the first thing. I think the lady or the person modeled it up by, you know, not differentiating. So with respect to the one that comes as evidence of speaking in tongues or as evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, yes, every believer should. All the you know, portions of scripture that you know, narrates the story of how people were baptized in the Holy Ghost. All those instances had them praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Spirit. All of them. The Bible didn't have to put it if it was not there. But the Bible made that extra effort to put it there. And they spoke in other tongues. Or they were able to pray in, in, other, tongue, in other tongues. So it's important that you understand that. If you, I think this is one of the biggest um, challenge. Or challenges when it comes to receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost there is that sense of restraint that uh, maybe this is not for me maybe this is for other people it's not 
compulsion for everybody to pray in the spirit. There are so many, there are so many things. I can't even begin to tell you all the benefits there are to praying in the spirit. It's so limiting to not take advantage of that. And it's something that everybody has access to. But through knowledge and through ignorance, sometimes people excuse themselves from enjoying such an eternal asset that we've been given by the Lord. So please do not um, restrain yourself. There was a certain young man in this house that, you know, um, we, I remember there was, there was a teaching we had around this and then three guys came forward and one of them couldn't pray in tongues for a long while. But we kept encouraging him, teaching him, encouraging him. And thank God today he prays in the spirit. He, spe he speaks in tongues. And that would significantly improve his prayer life. Because how many things are you going to say in understanding to be able to pray for two hours? By the time you are done praying in understanding, in 30 minutes you are really done. You don't have anything else to say. You pray for Nigeria, you pray for your father, your mother, your sister, your siblings, pastor. You pray for everybody. At the end of the day, you're done. You're literally just done in 30 minutes. But with tongues, you can just go to the next level. Remember what Maya shared with us yesterday, the cubits. And then you keep going from one cubit to the other, delving into deeper things of God. Then you are receiving revelation from scripture. Sometimes I'm praying in, in tongues, and that's where I receive my messages, the teachings that I do. All right. Many of the times when I read the Bible, I'm storing information. I'm storing logos in my heart. When I pray in tongues, those, they are just connecting in a way that I can't fathom. Because I'm praying, I'm like joining all the wires. You know, it's connecting, it's making sense. And then boom, I'm meditating while praying in tongues. Revelation is coming. It's so powerful. It's not something you want to joke with. But not everybody can speak in other tongues as a gift of the Spirit, which is skewed towards prophecy like I earlier explained. I believe that's clear. Amen. Was that clear? Okay. Let's be sure it's good for that. Um, and Pastor, you just mentioned something about, you know, when you read the word, you're storing up. So let's just move that. Um, so there's okay. a question around that about, you know, what are the mental tricks kind of to memorizing <laughs> scripture to... Are there mental tricks per se? Um, I wouldn't say they're mental tricks. I think they are love tricks. If, you know, if you permit me to say that. I would say love the word of God. That's the most powerful way of retaining scripture in your heart. Anything you love, you keep. It's just that simple. All right? You love Liverpool if you're a Liverpool fan. You remember all their names. You don't have to go cram it. You don't have to mentally try to remember Gerard. In fact, there was, <laughs> there was one of my mentors. He was a Liverpool, diehard Liverpool fan. He knew Gerard. He knew his girlfriend. He knew his daughter. He knew their birthdays. And I'm like... I mean, who does that? He loved this guy so much that he knew everything there was to know. I'm sure some of you follow some celebs on, 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 online. You know everything about them just because you like them, just because you love them. It's that simple. Love the word. You will remember it. It's that simple, sincerely. You will remember it. And when you, when you love it, you want to spend more time with it. Because you spend more time with it, your mind is more familiar with it. It picks it up. It remembers it faster than, you know, some magazine you read. Do you understand? Because it's the word of God. You've poured over it over and over and over again and because you love that word it stays with you the word of god knows when you love it all right so it, it also gives itself back to you but when you read it as a religious chore you just want to read it to click some to do on your checklist so that you placate your conscience and feel like you've done the religious activity for the day let me read two chapters and move on sometimes you're reading a chapter and you get to verse five and you can't move on because the Holy Spirit is saying, spend more time here. I want to show you something here. So relate to the Bible like a person. It's not some, you know, you're having a conversation. You're not just going to run and, brrr and move on. You're having an engagement. So sometimes allow the word of God speak back to you. And then before you read your Bible, sometimes pray. Psalms 119, I believe verse 18 says, Open my eyes, O Lord, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That means before you interact with God's word, don't interact with it like another magazine, another book off the shelf. Look at it like a person you're about to engage and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to you through the pages of scripture because he's the original author of scripture, isn't it? So you need to get into that word with him on your side, all right, so that he's showing you things. He's, trust me, Exodus is connected to Revelation in some way or the other. Chronicles, but you can't see that connection by your carnal mind. If you're just reading like another book, the Holy Spirit can literally connect all the cables and informs a solid thought in your heart. It's by the help of the Holy Spirit. And once you love God's word, you will keep it more in your heart. You will remember it more. It will stay in your heart more. All right. So I believe that's the only trick that works, if you ask me. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. These many questions. <laughs> all right. All right. 
reading through some of these questions and they are heavy. <laughs> so we'll start with something light. <laughs> this one says, can a man be a man of God and not know how to speak in tongues? Yes. Yes. A lot of the evangelicals in America today, they, they don't speak in tongues in terms of praying in the spirit. They don't because they don't believe, because the uh, denomination doesn't really believe in praying in tongues as a regular thing or as a follow come like I've explained it. They believe it's, you know, not for everybody. And some even believe that it has passed away. All right. Just like 1 Corinthians 13 says, um, if they be gifts, they will pass away, all those type of things. However, it's referring to when Jesus comes. All right. Not now on earth because prophecy was also included. Knowledge was also included. So if knowledge passes away, so what are we using right now? So he was not talking about in this dispensation. He's talking about when Jesus arrives, there'll be no need for prophecy, no need for knowledge. We'll see him and we'll know ourselves even as he is known. So um, some of them never really believed in praying in the spirit and he didn't really remove from the fact that they were called of God. I mean, a very popular example is Billy Graham. All right. I mean, he did all those remarkable things without necessarily believing in some of the Pentecostal things that we do, charismatic things like healing and all that. They didn't really believe in all of that, but you know, what they believed in, they were so strong with it. So sometimes it's a denominational slant, so it doesn't undermine, let me use another word, it doesn't it doesn't change the status of a person if he's called of God, all right? Just because he can't pray in the Spirit, that means he's no longer called of God. He's no longer a man of God, no. However, praying in the Spirit can remarkably optimize, you know, your ministry as a man of God. I think that's, that's how I'll, I'll put it. So, so they're not wrong. They're just, they're not wrong, those people that don't, uh, that operate. Uh, they're not wrong in sense of if you are called of God and you can't pray in tongues, that means you're wrong. No, not in that sense. However, when you begin to push the agenda and, you know, almost make others believe that this thing is not for everybody and make people comfortable in their state of lack of hunger, because there's something about the Holy Spirit. You need to hunger for him. You need to desire him. Like what happened at um, um, Pastor Mike, Pastor Peace, help me. Um, William Seymour at Azusa Street. Good. At Azusa Street, what happened was that people just spent long hours, just like we did yesterday, just waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord in fasting and in prayer as they could at that time. And then the Holy Ghost came, almost like how it did in Acts 2. And then, boom, the revival that started from there birthed a lot of ministries that we know today. All right? So it's, it was really powerful, the invasion of the Holy Spirit. But it was because they hungered and they thirsted for it. Blessed are they that hunger after righteousness. They shall be filled. That's how the Holy Spirit wants to invade. It's by hungering and thirsting. However, those type of teachings that make you feel comfortable not having the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life with evidence of praying in tongues... They don't desire it. They don't hunger for it. It just kills their drive. They just get comfortable with not being able to pray in, in tongues. All right? There is a portion of the Spirit of God that you require to be saved. So, if you're saved at all, you have a portion of the Holy Spirit in you. You can't be saved except the Lord draws you. And He draws you through the Holy Spirit. However, it's almost as though, um, you know, a portion of the Holy Spirit pours into you to get you saved in the first place. To be filled with the Holy Ghost is you getting overwhelmed into the pool called the Holy Spirit. It's another dimension. It's another, you know, level of the experience. So that getting born again is just a foretaste of the possibilities when you now get filled. And you can get filled often. All right? You can get low. You can get half tank. You can get filled. And you can begin to overflow. All right? There are levels and dimensions in how you can be filled in the Spirit. But if you're saved, you have a measure of that Spirit of God to even get you saved in the first place. You couldn't have been saved without the help of the Holy Spirit. And some people are comfortable in that realm and in that zone. They don't want to go beyond that. And it doesn't change the fact that they are Christians. Some of them are men of God. Some of them are pastors and all of that. Depending on their denominational slants. But um, it's, it's just better to, you know, desire for that, you know, gift in terms of the feeling of, uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So what I was going to say is that if you now begin to push the agenda... To make people comfortable in their complacency, in their, you know, not having the Holy Spirit, then it becomes wrong for you to do that. 
It becomes wrong for you to do that. But if you're born again, you're a pastor, you're a man of God, and you do not pray in the spirit, you're not wrong. God doesn't hate you. God doesn't have a problem with you. You're still his child. He will still lead you however he can, even though it may be limited because you can't pray in the spirit, you know, but he'll work with you. All right. I hope that that was clear to whoever asked that question. Um, something, some more light things. Um, my girlfriend says that her love language is physical touch, but I cannot yeah, seem girl. to meet her at the point of her knees. Does this mean that I, we are not please, compatible? After physical touch, uh, can you repeat what happens after that? I didn't um, hear the last. But um, My girlfriend says that her love language is physical touch, okay. but I cannot seem to meet her at the point of her needs. Does this mean that we are not compatible? You can't compatible? meet her. You should, <laughs> don't even meet her at all. <laughs> please. Don't meet at the point of a ninja. <laughs> you are not Jaira. <laughs> That's not your name. <laughs> Please don't meet her. That okay. So, I I and I think Gary Chapman really did. He caused Wala with that particular, <laughs> you know, love language, physical touch. Because that's when we start talking about how far is too far and all of that. Physical touch, as long as it's not more than hold my hand, hold my, you know, shoulder, hug, which in most cases is beyond that. When you say your, your love language is physical touch, it can't just be hold hand now. <laughs> love language is physical touch. That obviously, there is something more than hold my hand, hold my shoulders, hug me, which should ideally be how far you go with respect to a relationship. But when it's now <laughs> something huge, you know, a lasting embrace. Where well, you can literally begin to inhale each other's, uh -huh. then, then you've got to be careful. You know, like I shared with, you know, a group of people that I spoke with um, about last week or two weeks ago. And I was talking about, you know, this whole idea of how far is too far in relationships. And I know this is something we need to talk about as often as possible because the bulk of us are young people in relationships looking for, you know, a lady, a guy to be in a relationship with. So we are in that space and we need to talk about this more often. That's the truth. How far is too far? So let's even kill the cow already, right? And I ask this question. I think I've asked the church as well before. When a person falls off a cliff, all right, he's yet to land, but he's, well, let, let, me, let me not get ahead of myself. At what point does he fall? Is it when he lands on the floor or when he falls off the cliff? At what point does he really fall? Are you sure? He has not landed. We've not had bah. His head has not broken. <laughs> He's still mid-air somewhere. At what point does he fall? He's falling. <laughs> he has not fallen, but he's still falling. <laughs> okay. So, and that's the logic I try to. So there is a fallacy in philosophy called the slippery slope fallacy. The slippery slope fallacy in most contexts is a very poor way to think. That is usually the slippery slope fallacy talks about how that if you do not want Z to happen, don't even do A at all. All right? Because A can lead to B, can lead to C. And in most cases, A pretty much never evolves beyond B. So the distance between B and Z is still a lot. But because people usually over magnify the impact of A, all right? And they already can see that Z is a reality. So let's not even do A because it can lead to Z. In most cases, that is a very faulty way to think. It's a bias. However, in this particular context, I think it makes perfect sense. The reason is because I can pretty much, you know, lay the tracks or um, tie A to Z in a very clear way. When you fall off the cliff, it's guaranteed you will land at some point. You're not going to suspend midair and go back to the cliff. You are going to get to land. See everything you are saying is permissible as falling off the cliff. Penetrative sex is landing. If you start on the note of, oh, let's kiss, let's spend some time together, let's stay, you know, in an enclosed arena all by ourselves and create the enabling environment, literally a caramel. Remember what we talked about caramel yesterday, a fertile ground, all right, for this, you know, adventure in our hearts. Because your heart knows where it's going. He's just plotting a proper graph to get there. 
you know, so you create an enabling environment for that thing to transpire. It won't start with you having sex. It will start with you, you know, kissing, fondling, and all those type of things. And you will continue to increase the borderlines. It will start getting more gray by the next visit. By the next visit, you just don't want to kiss for two minutes anymore. You want to do it for a little longer. You want to do it for 20 minutes. Now beyond that, you want to touch. And after touching, you don't want to just touch anymore you want to keep going you can't just stop at one point you can't stop mid-air you have to continue to go until you have sex and that's the challenge the mature person understands that there is no expediency to this kissing because it will land in sex all things are lawful so i'm not here telling you that kissing is a sin but as a mature mind i'm telling you how you must interpret kissing how you must see it within the framework of fornication it leads to it People will not be in a relationship now, and the first thing they do is have sex. They will kiss first, and they may kiss for six months. Then lay hands for another six months, you know, speaking in tongues and laying on of hands. And then by the 13th month is when the sex will happen. But they're not likely going to just start their romantic escapade with sex. They will do introduction, then do some, you know, research methodology and uh, all of that before you begin to... Do you understand? So that's the protocol. You don't just go in to have sex with someone. Typically, if you're not insane, you want to build up the momentum. So how about you cut short that circuit from the first point and ensure you don't go beyond that point. If you will not fall off the cliff, you cannot land. So ensure you don't fall off the cliff. So for someone who is mature, you're not just afraid of landing because landing is what most people are afraid of. Landing is what breaks your head. Landing is what shatters the bones. But falling off the cliff is what leads to that landing. How about you get as scared of falling off the cliff as much as you are of landing? That's the logic that works. So this idea of, you know, how far is too far? If I kiss him and I don't, is it okay? It's not okay. It's not okay. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Look at what it results into. It just stokes the unnecessary fire of love. You put fire in your bosom and you remove it. You put fire in your bosom, remove it. What's the point? How about you get to a point where you can con completely consummate with no restraint and it's legalized. It's endorsed by God. It's even worship as called by God. Amen. <laughs> where there is no looking behind your shoulders if anybody is coming. Because there is... The fire is there to be consummated. Or you put it there, you remove it, you put it there. There's no point. There's no point. So, um, Director Bilola has something to say about that. Fantastic. She's an expert, by the way, I in that field. Please, Mike. So, I also just wanted to say that this person's point was that, does this mean that they're not compatible? So, is this an excuse or a reason to break up? Fantastic. So, just so once I'm done, I'll, I'll give you the phone. I mean... Okay, okay. Your voice has traveled. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally understand. Okay, so the reason, so I used the question as an opportunity to address the issue I addressed. So um, let's get back to the question now. The question is, does it mean we're not compatible? Now, we need to understand what this love language, physical touch, and the framework the person is working with is to start with. So this physical touch, love language of this, your relationship partner, what is it and what, how far is it? Do you understand? Is it just holding hands? If you're a man, you can't hold your girlfriend's hand in public. You'll be shaking. There's a big, big problem. Oh. There's problem. Oh. No, no, I mean, if, because the truth is, some ladies, and, and it's not, it's just proclivities, idiosyncrasies, personality differences, how, upbringing, up, upbringing, rather. All right? So, um, some Girls grew up with all the kisses and love by their fathers, their mothers. You know, they, 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 they grew up in that environment where there's so much love doled out at them. They were in that space. 
They don't even see hugging or holding hands as anything to start with. Now, they get into a relationship with you, and you can't even hold the hand. That is the minimum requirement for them. Now, that's going to be a lot of problem. However, if this person, this lady, or the guy saying that physical touch is my love language, if that person means hug me tight, hug me well, you're not hugging me enough, wrap it around me, if that is... The person's idea of love language and the, the physical touch cannot be done in public. The physical touch that is the person's love language is not for public consumption. It, because every other love language can be done in anybody's presence. Right? Quality time, um, acts of service, gifts, thoughts of affirmation. You won't be afraid that anybody will see. But if your own type of love language for physical touch is only for closed doors then that physical thought has comma inside. Do you understand? So let's even define how far it's too far or how far the extent of that particular person's expectation of physical touch is. But if it is the basic ones, hold, hug, and I think it's fairly okay, and I'm not defining anyone or anything for any particular relationship here, but I think if you're not in a relationship with someone, and I've said this before as well to, to leaders, Frontal hug is a bit, um, you know, current tapish, if there's any word like that. Uh, okay, for those who understand. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> forget about it. But you're in a relationship with your girlfriend, I think it's okay, right? This is me saying it's okay. However, you know, Beyond that, I think it may just be getting a bit too far. Um, if your physical touch, love language goes beyond a warm embrace, then I think it's a little too far. So it's a good reason to say we can't... No, no, no. I don't think it's enough a reason to break up. Nah. We can talk about this. We can adjust. I can start holding you better. Some ladies like PDA. Some guys... Usually, I think it's the ladies that prefer PDA more than the guys. Typically, guys may be more cack up than the Is ladies. I think so. So usually when a lady is saying he or she or she wants a P, um, PDA, a guy should loosen up a little to just afford her that type of pleasure, you know. So it's not, but I don't think it's enough a reason, except there are more serious issues, maybe around fertility or something. Or, you know. Um, but perhaps if the person is insisting that it has to be sex, then you say. Of course. That's a deal breaker. Uh, you can come to me. I'll, I have a serious hammer. I, I used to break it. Emeka <laughs> right, so has a question or you want to contribute? Oh, I have a question. So okay. I feel like, so I don't know, your response seems to go towards favoring the lady. So maybe was <laughs> raised by a warm, um, friendly father. What if the guy was raised by a soldier? And, you know, so it's personality difference. Yeah, so my point is... How to hold hand in public. So, That's why so my you point. Talk about it. He said yeah, you can talk about it. Your soldier father and uh, my teddy bear father, you know. So both of you are now in the same relationship now, and then uh, you guys have to talk about it. And that means you have to create some level of compromise. So maybe your need for touchy touchy may have to reduce a little to accommodate his strictness or his cackupness. Do you understand? And then you also need to move a little bit towards the lady. Where if you never touch ladies in public, you may now need to start touching maybe once in two months or something. But just make sure you move from where you used to be. And then she also can reduce from ten times a day to like once a week <laughs> or something like that. You know, and then you guys meet somewhere in the middle. But talking about it should be able to resolve it. You don't have to break up over that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, while we're still on the topic, uh, this question says, I've heard that abstinence is not the same as sexual purity. How true is this? And is purity the same as holiness? Then the oh. subset now says, there's the, subset. This, the easily, please address the easily besetting sin called pride and how do you overcome it? So ah. Let's focus on the, the first... The first one was Olabara. abstinence. Let's focus on okay. abstinence. So abstinence is not the same as sexual purity and is purity the same as holiness? So, I really think many of these things are nomenclature, but if I will go by the mainstream definitions or perceptions of those words, I'll say abstinence is perhaps strictly towards 
sex, that is, you are not going to have sex, which is perhaps similar to celibacy, right? However, um, abstinence, sexual purity. Sexual purity begins from your mind. So sexual purity will inadvertently make you abstain. But you can be abstaining from sex and not be sexually pure because you're involved in other sexually stimulating activities. You watch pornography, you, you do other things, you masturbate. Those are not sexually pure activities to engage in. However, you may not have had sex before. So you may still be technically a virgin, abstaining, chaste, or celibate like they call it. But in actual fact, God doesn't see you as sexually pure because you have a lot of rotten things in your mind that you spend time with and you engage consistently. And that's where Jesus works, where he says, you have heard. But what I'm saying now, I'm reinstituting the protocol when it comes to sexual immorality. If you think lustfully, then you have fornicated. That's the beginning. So once he attacks it at that point, he deals with every other type of um, string of consequences. So this was, and then purity is the same as holiness. So sexual purity, purity, holiness. Purity, sexual or not, purity is pretty much the same thing as holiness. Yes. Okay. So let's move on to some heavier, more spiritual. Then the pride. Yes, yeah, so there was the I'll refer to the vibe of faith teaching. If you can locate that on SoundCloud. One of, it was our very first series at the tribe. I, you know, did a lot of deconstruction of that word pride, how it can be led, like a very strong thing that besets you. But I, I may not be able to go into all of the details, but one of the ways you can deal with pride is just getting closer to Jesus. Learn of me for I'm meek and lowly and you can find rest to your soul. So once you connect with Jesus in a very intimate way, one of the things that you will shed will be pride. All right. So get closer to Jesus and pride will no longer be a major stumbling block for you. Okay. Actually, I think I'm going to let the audience decide. Do we want to, to have Peter discuss something around money or do we want to actually discuss something around um, more spiritual matters? More spiritual matters. Are you sure you want me to discuss more spiritual matters? More spiritual matters. Talk through. Money. Money, okay. So it says, Pastor, I set a personal target to be a millionaire at 25. Fantastic. Solid stuff. Six years later, I don't have up to 10,000 in my account. Six years after 25. Wow. How do I correct this? I want to make money. Ah, interesting. I want to blow. Okay. So, so, ah, okay. <laughs> um, one of the series we have lined up for next year is a series that is going to address how to live by faith in every area of our lives. In every single area of our lives. Our health, our work, career, business, family, relationships, whatever it is. How to live by faith in all those areas. Because what we found out is that sometimes people are excelling so well in an area and they're deficient in another area because they've not learned how to apply faith in each context. That you have faith does not mean it's going to do Bubonishe work all around your life. There is a way to apply faith in business. There is a way to apply faith in health. And that's why applying faith in health is the easiest. reason is because you are the only factor involved. That's why it's the easiest form of faith to apply. Because you are the only factor involved. You don't need, to, you don't need anybody's faith to believe for your health. You can believe for your own health and be fine. Instantly you can get your healing. However, for money... It's different. The reason is because money is determined by market forces from eternity to eternity. That is how it will continue to be. However, there are things you can do to ensure that those market forces act in your favor by faith. All right? So, but these are things you need to understand. That means your money is dependent on other people's desire to get what you have. It's just that simple. So, we can train you, we can teach you how to apply faith to ensure that whatever it is, product, services that you put out there in the market can become more attractive for people to want to get and exchange for money. And then you can grow your funds that way. All right. One of the challenges also, I think I can use this opportunity to address, is that sometimes we hear testimonies in church that corrupt our faith. They don't edify us. They corrupt our faith. The reason is because a pastor comes, I'm a pastor, I have multiple streams of income just by being a pastor. Multiple streams of income being the multiple people that I minister to. Yeah. They are my multiple streams of income. I minister to someone over a long period of time, two, three years, I'm blessing someone's heart. If I have, for example, a membership of 500 and only five people, 
only five, sorry, only 5% of the people that I minister to consistently have a sense of gratitude to say thank you in, you know, communicating financial resources back to me, apart from their tithes and offerings, right? 5% of 500 is how much? Or is how many? Huh? That's 25. 25 people on a regular basis just sending me funds, recharging my airtime, whatever it is, sending me money or partnering with my ministry in a more private way. That, because of the nature of my work, is a stream. However, so now I can't come up stage and begin to share testimonies like that as though everybody can replicate that same type or dimension in their own lives. They are not in my line of work. They don't have my type of circle. They don't have my type of perception that people have of me. Do you understand? So if someone, if one of those 25 people gives me a car, for example, and I now come on stage and begin to share it as though it was my faith, you know, I was believing for resources, and then a car just showed up. And someone in the crowd who is a banker, who doesn't have the kind of ministerial clout that I do, is believing God for a Rolls Royce, he may stay there for 10 years and not one will come. Not because God is not faithful, but God will need to show him how in his context he can believe God for money. That's the only way. He can't begin to use my own testimony as a framework to replicate the same in his own life. That's what causes frustration. And that's why people get on social media and they're angry with some pastors, actually. Because they feel like the things you're telling us, it's not happening in our lives. We've tried so hard for five years. It's because they can't find the connection. You can't believe God for the kind of things that Ibabadebo is believing God for. Do you know the thousands and millions of children, quote-unquote spiritual children, that look to bless him every other day? That they feel they, they are blessed for even being able to bless them. That's the mindset because of the nature of his work. You cannot begin to compete with his blessedness or his prosperity at the level of your work. Except you also need to start creating a product and a service that can bless the families of the earth. And then the families of the earth through your product and service will bless you back by getting your resources. By getting those products and services. That's the only way. So when we share testimonies, we've got to be very careful the kind of, you know, spirit we're passing across. That's not a spirit of greed, covetousness, and a spirit that shortcuts process. This idea of my account is empty, I go into the ATM, the prophetic word came yesterday, I go into the ATM, 24 hours breakthrough, and then I want to withdraw money from an account that I have no deposits. How does that happen? That's the spirit of Balaam. It's a spirit of greed. It's wrong. So God will not rob a person to bless you because that money that is not in your account came from an account. God didn't print that money from heaven. So you, somebody got robbed. You just didn't carry a gun. Somebody got robbed so that you can get your miracle money. And that's why we've got to be very sober and vigilant when it comes to this. There is a way to apply faith in every area of your life. Depending on what God has called you to do, whether as a professional or as an entrepreneur, a ministry gift. Because for ministry gifts, they are working directly with God. God is their boss. He's their line manager. He's the one that determines how resources will get to them. The way he did with Elijah. Praise God. So the way they believe God for their resources is quite different actually. Because God is their line manager. He's the one literally providing for the vision he has given them. That's called provision. Amen. Praise God. So um, what's the question again? Sorry. <laughs> I set a personal target to be a millionaire at 25. Good. And how do I, I six years later, I still don't have up to 10,000 so in my account. So, you've not done it right in the last six years. That's why. He's not done it right. He's not Williams, done it right. Would you say that the goal itself is a bit skewed in some way? Like, I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. You don't I, think it takes, it takes your focus on being no. on money rather than, no. you know, depending no. and living on. No. Okay. No. no. It's, it's, it's a target. It's set goals like that. It's, it's perfectly fine. As a matter of fact, we're going to be teaching on some of these things towards the turn of the year. Because there's, there's, there's some things the Holy Spirit is sharing with me that I think are really, really profound. There's nothing wrong with setting very audacious targets. Nothing is wrong with it. It's a reflection of how big you think your God is. However, what do you want to use those resources for once you have them? That is what now should judge that motive. You want to become a millionaire at 25 so that the gram will know that's wrong. Bam, bam, bam. Do you understand that? So that the gram will know that you are rich, you are boxed up, you know, the quality of your shoes and all that. But I want to be re I want to have I want to have millions in my account at 25 so that I can increase the quality of my seed. How about that? Some of you have never given God one million naira, but you have used a lot of millions of naira to spend on things that only you get to consume. 
So if I want to be um, a millionaire in dollars, just because I want to be a more effective servant of the gospel, do you know how limited God was in bringing Jesus' body down to the tomb? He had to go and avest or excavate some Joseph of Arimathea that we did not hear anything about throughout the scripture until that moment because the guy was the only rich person that he could use that was a disciple so imagine how his own prayer points will be going all right he, he literally carved a tomb out of the rock it was an expensive type of tomb it was one of the most precious stones he used in carving because of Jesus so, is your wealth promoting you or promoting the kingdom? If that's why you want to be rich, you want to be rich for yourself, then it's a wrong type of target to have. Any type of target, whether it's 200 naira, is still going to be consumed on your loss. Don't you understand? So, it's not so much about the volume of the money. It's about what you're using it for. 200 naira or 200 million dollars, it really doesn't matter. If your motivation is self, it will still be self when you are poor. Don't you understand? So it's not so much about the money. It's about what are you using it for. So if you want to be a millionaire in dollars so that you can buy your own account. Sponsoring the planting of churches all over the continent. Africa, Asia, Europe. Just, you want to just find a pastor that is doing the will of God. And put money in his hand so that he can plant a church. That can be a desire of someone. Do you understand? So um, there's nothing wrong with having those kind of audacious targets. It's all about what you intend to use it for. The advancement of the kingdom of God. Or to aggrandize yourself or make yourself look better than other people. That's really what matters. Hallelujah. Thank you. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. The wisdom is, is really flowing. Thank you. Um, so let's just move on to, I think we'll take one more um, question and then we'll start taking questions around um, the gifts of the Spirit. Um, so this one says, why do men of God test faith? For example, some go into the zoo and want to see if they'll be eaten by lions. Most times they get eaten. Does this mean that God avoids their prayers? Foolishness, 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 foolishness. There's a difference between foolishness, presumption, and faith. Faith, faith pleases God. Huh? Faith pleases God. Faith doesn't aggrandize self. Go check out most of those guys who try such things. It's so that their name can be published in the papers that this man had enough faith to get into the zoo. The guy that did it in Denia, he was thrown in there. And while there, he believed God for deliverance and then God delivered him. He didn't look for zoo. Get inside and start praying. That's testing and tempting the Lord your God. Fall. The angels will catch you. No. But if I trip, it will get his angels to... To catch me. If I trip, because tripping talks about the fact that I didn't deliberately want to fall, but I go to the end of the cliff, I want to fall. Angels, where are you? Ainda? Egg me, you know. Why are not a bijawara? You don't do that. You don't do that. So lions eat flesh. If you provide yourself as a worthy flesh, they will eat you. God designed them that way. They're carnivorous. Praise God. So you don't do that. But if you find yourself in a situation where the only way God can save you is by shutting the mouth of lions. Boy, he's going to shut those mouths. He spoke to the whale. He can speak to any animal. All right? But you didn't go there looking for how that bites me. Don't touch you, you see? see? See Paul as well. Viper fastened itself against him. And he just shook it off and continued to move. He didn't look for the viper in the fire and say, ah, you are here. Oh, yeah, now. Kiss me. No. Do you understand? So um, don't test the Lord your God. All right, be faithful with what the instructions he's giving you per time. But in that faithfulness, if you find adversity, God will preserve you in that adversity by his power. But that would not be you tempting the Lord your God. That would be God, you know, acting out in his power and his strength. Yes, I hope, yeah. that, I hope that sufficiently answers that question. Um, so and we're running out of time, so I've just categorized um, the questions. And we're just going to take three more questions and then that's it. Um, so this one says, is sleep paralysis spiritual? If yes, how do you overcome it? Is Sleep paralysis. So sleep paralysis is a thing. I don't know if um, everyone is familiar with it. It's a thing that happens where oh, I you're think I have an idea. Yeah, exactly. You and can't wake up. It feels like someone is pressing yeah, you down, yeah. and you can't shout you can't Jesus. You can't come you out. Can't, yeah. It can be. It can be. But what I also know is that a lot of people have experienced it. You know, growing up, we had all kinds of dreams. Um, not necessarily a, a 
a domain that I've really studied on in that specific way. But um, if it's becoming recurrent and you don't like it as a spirit man, you don't like it. Because sometimes some things are very unique. You don't, it has never happened to anybody else, but it's happening to you and you don't like it. Just because you don't like it is enough reason to believe God against it. So you don't want it in your life. You don't want that to continue. Just um, believe God to not have such experiences again and he will deal with it. So it can be weaponized by the devil to keep you bound. So what happens is that if he gets to introduce the suggestion of helplessness in your dream, you can wake up with that virus in your mindset. You are helpless. You can't do anything about the situation. Nothing, nobody's going to come and rescue you. You can't call Jesus. He's nowhere to be heard, you know, or to be found, you know. That... So I think what, what the devil does with such dreams is to introduce viruses into our thinking that will now affect our faith in life. So um, if that's a recurrent thing in your life, believe God against it. Fast pray, deal with it by faith, and get rid of it. Okay, I hope that sufficiently answers um, that question. So now the questions that we have are centered around praying. This one says, what difference is, quite long, what difference is there in praying to fellowship with God and praying to edify yourself or to ground yourself further in God? Basically, is the prayer offered while you fellowship with God the only kind of prayer to be made? And then the second one says, how do we wait after praying and it seems the results are not forthcoming? How do we maintain a vibrant prayer altar? And... A lot of questions. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me start by talking about the difference between prayer for intimacy and the one for... Try to do a quick recap for that first so one. So praying to edify yourself or to ground yourself in further in God versus praying to fellowship with God. Well, um, I'm not sure we should have a sort of schedule or itinerary. <laughs> you know, Monday is pray to fellowship. Tuesday is pray to grind myself or something. I think you should just pray, right? However, the bulk of your prayer should be more tuned towards fellowship, communion. However, that should, that's not the only type of prayer to pray, all right? If you're praying for fellowship and communion, that can happen anywhere. It can happen in your car. It can happen without you separating yourself from the community. That's the only way it's possible to pray without season if we are praying the prayer of communion and fellowship, all right? The type of prayers that... Adam prayed in the beginning where Jesus, I mean, God will come and fellowship with him. There wasn't any particular prayer point, nothing to pray about, quote and unquote, but they were having communion and fellowship. That fellowship can be held anywhere. However, for you to effectively supplicate, pray for nations, intercede, other types of prayer, petition, intercession, those types of prayer require some seclusion. It requires some fervency. Look at what we talked about yesterday with Elijah. He had to separate himself, went to a Carmel, I mean, to, to a mountain called Carmel. He bent in an awkward position, talking about the physical exertion required. And we learned yesterday as well that Elijah is a symbol. All right, so if you want to understand prayer really, really well, go and learn about the life of Elijah. You will get to understand some dimensions because James had to bring Elijah from the Old Testament, just because he wanted to make a prayer point, a point on prayer. Do you understand? So he needed to bring Elijah. So that tells you that everything Elijah did on that mountain, there are things to go and read and understand. He was not just praying, he was watching and praying. He told his servant, go and watch. And then he was praying. So watch and pray came from Elijah. It was the framework. He represented everything that prayer ought to be about. Do you understand? Um, but, you know, so all of that. Apart, you know, what I just explained now doesn't really factor in the prayer of fellowship because we would realize that Elijah was a little deficient in that regard. Do you see? He was supposed to believe that God was still with him, but because he was really never fellowshipping with God, he allowed all the external factors affect his mindset about his purpose, his call of, the call of God upon his life. Even Obadiah told him, you're not the only one. Before he even went to that mountain and then God did all those theatrics and then told him he was not there he was in the still small voice that means he didn't really have that still small voice experience as a regular thing in his life that means that fellowship that rapport he didn't really have it but when it comes to the kind of bring down fire prayer get results kind of prayer supplication intercession this guy was number one but with with communion intimacy who do we see in that regard david so like i said worship and intimacy david is the man but prayer that gets results, Elijah is the guy. So when it comes to intimacy, Elijah was a little deficient, you know, a little threat from um, Jezebel. Was it Jezebel? 
Yeah. Um, she, he, couldn't, he couldn't deal with it. That sense of strength that comes from your personal relationship with God, didn't really have it. But he was a, he was a result producer in terms of his prayer life. Um, so to wrap up that response, there was a question that ended it. Sorry. Was like basically, is the prayer offered while you fellowship with God the only kind of prayer to be made? So I think the okay. answer has so been I, no. I answered that. Yeah. I thought there was a, another so thought the around the was, prayer. Yeah, so the other one was, um, how do we wait after praying? And it seems the results are not forthcoming. And Good. And how do we maintain a, a vibrant prayer altar? Good. It was referenced yesterday as well. How that Elijah was praying, the servant checked six times. And the result was not forthcoming. But he didn't stop praying. Prayer is accumulative in the realm of the spirit. Daniel's prayer was what assisted the angels in fighting Persia or the princes of Persia. The hierarchies of the kingdom of darkness fighting against the hierarchies of the kingdom of God in ensuring that they... Imagine how much of a... Imagine how much of a value or a valuable, an asset prayer is in the realm of the spirit. Two kingdoms are warring just to ensure that one prayer does not reach the earth in answer. Imagine how they relate to prayer. Prayer is a commodity. They can see it. The way we can see is too, they can see that prayer is about to be answered. Or God has already answered actually. So the, the problem was not really with God. So you can see sometimes you're fasting and praying. God has heard you 21 days ago. But mid-air, principalities and powers, rulers of darkness in this world, Spiritual wickedness in high places, resisting the answer of that prayer. Not because God did not answer, but because your fasting was not intense enough. You didn't create enough light in the realm of the spirit that would open the portal for that prayer to just come through. So when you continue to be steadfast in prayer, Bible says resisting him steadfast in faith. So when you're praying, you're not just praying once except it's a prayer of faith. That's a type of prayer you can pray once and move on, give thanks. But when it's a supplication, it's an intercession. You don't just do that one once and move on. You continue to do that until you begin to see results. Praise the name of the Lord. So um, that, it, it depends on the kind of prayer you're praying. You need to continue and be steadfast about it. And for, for vibrancy, I think what the person has in mind is that how, you know, if I'm not praying loud, praying aggressively and sweating, that means I'm not vibrant. Not necessarily. You can maintain a very wholesome prayer life without necessarily having to create a seven hour in your week where you only pray and you think that's being vibrant. You just being in a relationship with God. If you're in a relationship with God in your normal private fellowship, he tells you when to get your boots on and get your armor on and you're about to fight a serious demon. He tells you, he, he gives you all those type of intels. And then you know when to do the supplication and intercession and all of that because you are in a relationship with him. So the most important one of all these types of prayer is the prayer of fellowship and communion. That's what you will flow in. That was, that's what will make you flow into other types of prayers effectively. I think that's sufficiently, that covers yeah. it basically. So um, let's just give you a round of applause, Pastor Dami, as well. Um, we'll just take our last question, and if there's um, time after this is answered, then we'll take one more. Um, some gifts might take time to come into manifestation or might come with an assignment that should not be rushed into. How do you know that you're supposed to wait before going ahead with the assignment instead of rushing in since you already have the gift? Powerful. Um, upon finding out that you should wait, how can you wait effectively? Powerful question. Uh, sounds like a ministry gift question. <laughs> the person who wrote that has something on his head or her head, actually, because those are questions that I could have asked, actually, because when you feel you're a ministry gift, one of the biggest challenges you would have to face is the timing of pioneering, if you're a pioneer. If you're a pioneer, you're always asking God, is this the time? When do I leave this church and start my own? Or am I supposed to be here for five years? How long am I supposed to be here for? You are always asking those questions in your mind. Um, sincerely, I don't think there is a template. Each person, I mean, the, the plan for each person differs. And that's why the biggest thing you can do as a ministry gift in this season of your life is to connect with the Holy Spirit like never before. So all the while, while, you know, David was anointed at 16, 17, he didn't become king until he was 30. And even when he became king, he was only king of Judah. He was not king of Israel until he was 40 or was it 40? Yeah, about 38 thereabout. Because he, he, he was king over Judah for about eight years. Or seven years, eight years before he became king of Israel. And they had to come and call him. He was not the one looking for those things. God made it happen. So when it comes to, you know, starting out in ministry, 
wait patiently, patiently on the Lord. Fast and pray. Increase your level of intensity in terms of your fellowshipping time. Spend time in the word. Pray often. Then you will receive confirmations. If you're in a ministry gift, when it comes to starting out your own work, you will receive confirmation. Also put yourself under authority. Have mentors, spiritual fathers, people who can sense what you're sensing. Pastor Godman Akilabi, for example, he was in day staff for about 10 years. And in those 10 years, he did not want to start any ministry. He did not want it. Like maybe he had had all those nudges before, but he just didn't pay attention to it because he really wasn't about getting his own name on a billboard saying he's the pioneer of a church. No, he just wanted to love God and serve Pastor Sam, literally. It was Pastor Sam that received it from God that, oh, guy, it's time to go. You, go now. And he stayed another two years or so just serving him again and serving him again. Before he left, we can now understand in retrospect the way God blessed his ministry. How in just five years or six years, they are doing things that even some 25-year-old churches are not able to do because he really served and God blessed his work. By the time he was going to leave, Pisam gave him stuff, gave him members too. These are not things that are not mainstream. You may not hear these things, but that's what happens when a person is faithful. The blessing that will come out of you just serving and you going at the right time, it's so powerful because you can start your ministry now and in 10 years you still don't have a ministry and you started 10 years ago. How about you just follow the plan of God for your life? If you are really not about getting your name on the billboard, if it's not about you, then just allow God lead you. If your ministry gift that should get to the end of the earth, you get to the end of the earth. Even if it's in three and a half years, you'll get it done. Do you understand? So it's not so much about the time you started and when, you know, I, I should have started by now so that I can have 40 years, you know, in my kitty. Or I'll have, you know, many yardsticks that a lot of people use in determining the timing of their ministry, they are wrong. Sometimes the first 15 years is to serve one person. Yeah. Um, Keith Moore served Brother Hagin for decades, decades before he started his own ministry. Faith Life Church, I think, you know, and today he's still doing so well because as far as God is concerned, he started counting from whenever you started serving that man, not when you left your ministry. As though when you leave your ministry is when God starts counting, oh, your ministry. Your ministry is from the beginning of your ministry. That's the beginning. That's where God starts counting from. And so be faithful. Serve God in prayers and supplication. Have a mentor, a spiritual father. You will receive confirmations. You will know when it's time. And just love God. Love God's people. Serve wherever you find yourself. Be faithful with little. And God will let you know when it's time. Hallelujah. Yeah. So Pastor Peace has a question. And we'll just wow. Ah. <laughs> I need to go and pray faster. <laughs> okay, sir. Okay, so quick question. Um, I know we're out of time. So Pastor Peter. Wow, wow. <laughs> In another so three minutes, I guess we should move. between justification by faith mm. as taught by Paul and justification by works as taught by, by James? Fantastic question. These are the questions you research for. <laughs> um, well, I'll say that both of them, because, you know, there's some Christians who wanted to remove the book of James from the Bible. Do you know? Because they felt it was too legalistic, was too, ah, how can you say? Because it, it almost looked like James was trying to trump everything that Paul had written. That is, oh, you, you, you have faith, Abby. Show me your faith by your works. Don't just say, I have faith. You know, it was almost as though he was picking on some Paul lines, you know. Paul line, anyways. Paul, <laughs> some lines from Paul's epistles, and then he was almost taking a jab at those thoughts with his exegesis. But I don't think so, because, I mean... That would be the only thing doing a poor job, which I can't conceive. Because the word of God is perfect in itself. It has verity. All right? So every part of scripture in whole makes sense. And this is why the hypergrace movement, the reason why there was even that movement in the first place is because there was an exclusion of the voices of people like Peter and James. And they just took some of the thoughts that Paul... Even though Paul also balances his own thoughts, but because Paul was a, an apostle of grace to the Gentiles, the dominant thought in all his epistles was grace. And he himself was an injurious. He was a blasphemer. He had a very bad history, quote unquote. So he was the perfect type of apostle for the rebels. Do you get? So if you're a rebel by, not, that, not like anyone is a rebel by nature, but you get my point. If, you are, if your history supports that type of, you know, tendency for you to like a type of guy, you are likely going to prefer a Paul to a Peter or a James. Peter and James are the Casco guys. They were the ones that, yeah, we are holy brethren. 
And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit uses all these faculties to weave the tapestry of Scripture because that is how it works. So for us on this side of, the, of redemption, we don't now cherry pick and say, I'm for Apollos, I'm for Paul, I'm for Cephas, I'm for this guy. No, we look at the whole counsel of God and see the will of God in there. That means there is the will of God in Paul, there is the will of God in James. That means what completes the faith, the justification by faith, is the justification by works. That's what completes the cycle. If all you're doing is believing you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that means it's only in your head and in your mouth. It's not in your life. It is not in your legs. It's not, you're not walking it. James teaches us how to walk what Peter taught us or what Paul taught us in terms of thinking and in speaking. However, if all you're doing is walking and you're not thinking and speaking right, your walking becomes legalistic. So you need James and Paul. To understand what righteousness is about. Because there's something called fruit of righteousness. Fruit of righteousness is not the same as the state of righteousness. Fruit of righteousness are the things you produce. Because a fruit suggests that something combined to produce something. That is, you receive the state of righteousness in Christ Jesus. Then you combine it with faith in your heart. And it produced fruits. You started to walk righteousness in the earth. You started to do righteousness. Alright? So, but... James seemed to emphasize on the works, Paul on the state, but neither of them is complete without the other. In order for you to produce the fruit of righteousness, you need to have that righteousness consciousness. Understanding that my works will not make me more accepted than I already am right now. But now that I'm righteous, what can a righteous man do? Do righteousness. So that's the logic. You do righteousness. And that's how we know that you really understood what Paul said by doing it. That's the consummation of the protocol. You do righteousness. If you did, and that's why for those churches that were misbehaving, Paul will come and question their thinking. Don't you know? Don't you know? If it has not been furnished in your head and in your mouth, it won't, it won't materialize in your life. You won't act right. So how Paul knows that you are deficient in what he taught you is by the fact that you're not walking in righteousness. So it's, it's all a value chain. Everything comes together to form the whole council. Praise God. Hallelujah. So we'll just, I mean, there, there are a few questions, but I don't think that we have time to take them. We we'll never finish our questions. This it's fine, anyways. <laughs> support rules is also very personal. I think you should see Pastor Dami um, after the On what? Support rules. on. Okay, that's the, fine. Yeah, you can speak with me or any of the pastors yeah, Pastor and you get. Um, so thank you Good to answer. everyone that sent in their questions. I really appreciate you. Um, I'm so you. sorry that we couldn't take. There are some here that we couldn't take, but I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Please see Pastor Dami or any of the pastors to um, deal with that. Um, thank you for having me. God bless your heart. Thank you so, Cheers. so much. Let's just give a hand to Pastor Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.